Now, in the studio with me, as I mentioned earlier, is Simon Mulvaney. He's a beekeeper and activist. It's great that Simon's here because I wanted to talk, I've been meaning to get him in actually to talk about Varroa mite. This is uh, a kind of, I mean, I'll get Simon to explain it a bit more, but it's like fleas for bees. And it's only recently been introduced into Australia. They're not exactly sure how, from what I gather from Simon, just talking off air now. But up until recently, Australia was the only country in the world that didn't have this pest. I think it is pretty intriguing as to how it got here. But Simon, can you just explain to start with just what is varroa mite and why is it a problem for bees? Well, you're right to say it is like fleas for bees, except it's the biggest parasite to host that you get so if right in terms of size physical yeah size. so so you know if a bee was the size of us the parasite would be the size of a basketball so you can imagine a poor bee flying around with one of these mites on its back no country's ever been able to control varroa once it's infiltrated the system mm-hmm. i think when new zealand over a decade ago was hit by it they thought that they would be able to contain it particularly through the islands mm. from the different islands in new zealand but mm. they weren't right and mostly the reason they couldn't contain it was because of migratory beekeeping so that's beekeepers moving hives around right um and then i guess where this is an indication of something that you should be able to obviously see the benefits of keeping hives stationary if if let go free by itself it can only travel about three to five kilometers a year mm-hmm. But obviously, if it's in in a beekeeper's apiary and they're driving around, they can end up anywhere going 110 kilometres an hour on the back of a truck. That seems to be what has happened. Originally, we were hoping that it was only in one location. Mm. But since then, like there's nine or ten different locations or purple zones and over 100 infections that they've found yeah you're 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 onto it because i'm just looking at uh, outbreak.gov.au which is a rather dramatically titled uh, government website which uh, gives current responses to outbreaks this is a sort of a biosecurity website i guess and uh, talking about varroa mite saying at the beginning of september 22 99 premises in new south wales have had bees infested with varroa mite location of these premises range from sydney up to the hunter valley region one property in northwest new south wales and one in the north coast near coffs harbour behind the scenes there's not great confidence amongst the beekeepers in new south wales that it can be contained that it can be contained mm. and what's amazing is the fines for moving hives around in the purple zone or the red zones is a million bucks so they're taking that seriously mm. but to import bees into australia illegally someone was fined you know over the last you know decade or something the last guy that got caught doing it was fined two thousand five hundred dollars and how would you smuggle this in so smuggling in from uh, what from southeast asia from from new zealand from papua new guinea where would they come from for years, like um, beekeepers get quite attached to the lineage of the queens. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember when I started beekeeping down here, I was amazed at the different types of honeybees that I would catch when I was doing swarm collection. Mm. And I was speaking to an old Greek guy and he, he was boasting about how his family would smuggle these bees in. So just the queen? 
the, we, with a few assistants to feed them. So mm-hmm. you, you have six or seven worker bees and the queen and then you might put a bit of sugar fondant in. But um, apparently the way some of them have been busted is in, in just in a pen. Right. Um, yeah, take out the ink and, and you put a queen bee in with a ah, couple of... Really? You know, really? Inside the barrel and, of a pen. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, I, I don't know what the penalties are for that now, but you would hope that they would have increased on the back of this. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if they've officially said it, but unofficially people who have looked at this are now saying that Varroa has probably been here for a couple of years. Right. At the time it happened, everyone was like, well, of course you can't let almond pollination occur with hundreds of thousands of hives going to the almonds. Mm. Um, and then... I was shocked to hear on ABC radio the almond industry coming on boasting that we're going to create a bubble in the Sunraysia district and allow hive movements um, to the almonds. I think they said, you know, almonds are worth billions of dollars. Um, the honey industry is only worth $23 million, so we trump you and at some stage we're going to just have to deal with it. I wouldn't um, dispute those figures anyway. I mean, I'd be very surprised if the honey industry in Australia was only worth $23 million. You know? um, I think that, well, it, it, you know, it, it, there's no denying probably that the um, almond industry with their figures mm. are earning more money but yeah. like what everyone's got to realize is realize there'd be no money or pollination at all without the bees exactly so the bees should have you know absolutely so, come first so but the reason what the almond industry in victoria has relied up until re- up until this outbreak and then the restrictions that have been imposed on uh getting bee hives brought in for pollination purposes from new south wales at that or, or they, they can't source those bees in victoria to do that that work yeah so that's what they ended up doing trying to just get them from victoria and south australia mm-hmm. um and i think they allowed a corridor for queensland beekeepers to come in too right um but ba- I, I think i've, I've heard that 70 percent of the hives that do pollination do come from new south wales Mm -hmm. and the area that is actually locked down now and is getting hit quite hard is some of our best producing manuka honey areas so um it's it's really devastating so you we've got that and we campaign quite hard to keep victoria's border shut so this Uh, is through your social media channels which are can you just yeah um so save the bees australia on both instagram and facebook and then we've got the website be the cure.com that links everything up to we actually did a submission to federal parliament on how they could have better better handled it and um and tried to give them some tips in the future about sort of our expectations on on what to do one thing that is frightening i guess it's so you did manage to get you did that that campaign was successful in that it did stop new south wales beehives uh, for pollination being brought down to victoria for the almond industry so that was a successful campaign yeah yeah whether it was directly us i think there was a lot of um self-preservation yeah you'd reckon you know beekeepers very keen to stop them coming in and i guess the other thing for the pollination beekeepers here is that immediately makes them more valuable so they're quite the prices have been too low for years for pollination for beekeepers so hopefully that will increase or it definitely will on the back of this for Mm. future years Mm. but then this week i've been contacted there was a massive collapse even from beekeepers in victoria going to the almonds last year and this year 
and it's because there's a new type of pesticide that no one's pointing to the finger exactly what pesticide it is mm. but they're thinking it's more likely a combination between a fungicide and a new pesticide they're using on the almonds but right so and that's adversely affecting bees that are supposed to be pollinating the almond trees yeah so yeah um, but the, yeah, the, the beekeepers are losing hives at the almonds so okay. you know, mm. for years i've sort of you know thought that beekeepers should avoid going there at all costs but mm. um you know they, they can get quite desperate and then yeah well like for the other thing i've heard yesterday was the price of beeswax in australia has dropped dramatically and whether that's because of overseas people thinking that our wax is now contaminated i'm, I'm not sure mm. why the drop is but it's gone down from 16 to 13 dollars right so that's also an issue another big issue is to contain it in New South Wales. Originally, they came up with this strategy when there was only going to be one site. But as you've read out before, there's numerous sites now. Mm. So I think it covers 9,000 square kilometres. Mm -hmm. And they're doing a fipronol baiting program where they're going to be poisoning, trying to poison every wild bee in that area for a couple of years. So any beekeeper in that area has been told that they can't do beekeeping there anymore all their hives are being euthanized and the scary thing is we've spoken about in this program a lot is the these pesticides are blanket killers and so they'll be killing um indigenous bees as well mm. um some threaten like the green carpenter bee and they'll also be killing things like tadpoles and frogs and small birds as well mm. um if this fit fipronol gets within the system right so um uh, yeah a lot of people the indigenous community there are very concerned we did a campaign trying to reach out to the epa to to ban the use of fipronol in this way i think it's being used off label they said biosecurity biosecurity trumps their role mm. and so people might say what can you do and it's a pretty ugly one but i would think a research zone and you could try to contain it no hives out of the area you you might allow hives in if you need them and rather than doing this massive poisoning program which hasn't worked anywhere else before mm, it's interesting according to this outbreak.gov.au website in new south wales there are movement restrictions which mean that 10 kilometers uh, red eradication zone a, two, a 25 kilometer purple surveillance zone and a general blue biosecurity zone which covers all of new south wales so they are taking it quite seriously and beekeepers uh, well can check out this website they can also, if you're within the eradication and surveillance zones, you must report hives by filling out the online form at dpi.nsw.gov.au slash varroa. Alternatively, uh, beekeepers can contact the exotic plant pest hotline 1800 084 881 to speak to someone at the uh, DPI. So it's certainly being taken seriously. It is a, an issue. These uh, restrictions that apply in New South Wales are actually being enforced by the New South Wales Police. And as you mentioned, there are big fines for, for breaching some of these orders as well. So maybe a little bit belated. What about local impact on the Mornington Peninsula? Because there's lots of bees down here and you're a beekeeper on the uh, on Mornington Peninsula, south of Melbourne, 100k south of Melbourne. I was think I've been thinking about this issue for about a decade. 
And uh, because we are a peninsula, I think that we should have a you know major benefit in protecting ourselves. I would love it if local areas um, were given the right to not allow bees in, allow them out, and, and not in, and and you'd be able to protect different areas around Australia that were were important for bees. That's one thing in in the federal submission that we suggested is maybe giving um, local governments the right to to create exclusion zones. Mm. Mm. Well, it's interesting. There's advice for beekeepers here and all beekeepers, regardless of location in Australia, need to inspect the hives regularly for signs of varroa mite and other exotic pests. This is again from outbreak.gov.au. If you suspect your bees may have varroa mite, phone the exotic plant uh, plant pest hotline 1-800-084-881 this will put you in touch with your state or territory's biosecurity agency so for victoria uh, there are um, this was from the 23rd of august a permit is required for anyone bringing bees hives queen bees used beekeeping equipment pollen for bee feeding and bee products including honeycomb into any part of victoria from any state or territory so mm. pretty tough restrictions yeah have no, been victoria has been great we're a bit slow off the mark. Um, mm-hmm. I think South Australia were the first ones to to put in, you know, the the really strict regiments. But um, we followed down that line, and and WA in Tasmania, they've always been really strict with these yep. biosecurity things. So, yep. so no varroa apart from those areas of, of around sort of Central Coast, New South Wales. Yep, at this stage, it's the main area, yeah, yeah, that's been detected anyway, that's been reported. How easy is it to locate this on a bee? Is it like very hard to find this on a bee, or not so? Well, hard? talking to a few people in Europe and stuff, they they say it can take a couple of years to really flare up. Mm. That you would find it. What they suggest, there's two ways of doing it. It's a sugar shake test where you get a heap of bees, you shake them in sugar and then you've let them back out again and the mites will fall off mm. you then inspect the sugar um and then it, the, another way is they're doing the same thing but with alcohol and the bees will die but then then you'll see the mites come off them but another way we're checking for them or i do it personally um, particularly this time of year there's a lot of drone bees which is the male bees and that's where the mites tend to want to live uh, on top of them and so we uncap the larvae and we we look in the larvae to see whether they've got a mite on them or not yeah fortunately you know we haven't located any here yet yeah i think that's the the best way to inspect it but even if you do do inspections it's you know not always a hundred percent you're listening to beyond infinity Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. We were talking about varroa mite, which is uh, this, uh, it's like fleas of bees, if you like, and Simon was telling us about the, the way that that's moved around the country, some of the, uh, the, the campaigns that they've had to prevent New South Wales bees, which might be carrying varroa mite, into, um, into Victoria for the, for the uh, pollination of almond trees, and that was a, a very successful campaign. I thought we'd just expand the discussion because we're talking about an introduced pest and it's a biosecurity issue for Australia. So I thought it wouldn't hurt to mention the foot and mouth issue that threatens 
livestock on continental Australia and a lot of people going up to Bali these days. Bali was closed for quite a while and it's a very, you know, it's one of the, the favourite destinations for Australians. You know, it has the climate, has the food, has the surf, has, has a lot to offer. But unfortunately, on that list of offerings at the moment is foot and mouth disease, which affects all cloven hoofed animals, uh, those with uh, divided toes, in, including cattle, buffalo, camelids, which is alpacas, llamas, and camels, sheep, goat, uh, and deer. Uh, doesn't affect horses or zebras, funnily enough. Mm. There's no threat to humans from this disease. It's, it should be noted by listeners that it's it's uh, not the same as hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is common in young children. Completely different things and, and not linked. But there is a lot of concern. Australia has sent people up to Bali in particular because it's such a tourist hotspot to try to you know gauge how severe the the disease is up there in livestock and and despite some local authorities saying oh we don't have any in in, in Bali uh, there has been I've seen it on the news just recently there's been footage of, of animals with froth around their mouths and uh, you know and, and looking pretty you know under the weather uh, and that's in Bali on both the uh, the east and western sides of Bali and probably in between as well so the suggestion from the Australian side is that in fact foot and mouth disease as distinct from hand foot and mouth disease is widespread in Bali and also other parts of Indonesia very likely it's come across from Java from the, the more populated parts of Indonesia which are you know the, the, the islands to the, the west of Bali is Java it's got a big population so lots of cattle there and unfortunately it's 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 a very hard disease to contain now Australia hasn't had foot and mouth disease for a very long time the authorities are very very determined to try to contain it it is hard to contain and the suggestion is you know that, that they're concerned about travelers coming back and bringing it on their shoes or on their clothes or you know so they're saying if you've gone to a farm area or sort of you know if you've got mud from the paddy fields or that sort of thing on your hiking shoes or on your shoes of any description they're either saying just leave the shoes behind don't bring them into australia i think that's probably their preference but if you are going to bring your shoes back with you that you've been walking around in these areas particularly the sort of more rural areas of, of bali then you need to clean them really thoroughly before you leave i think they've got foot baths now in victoria when you come back from bali yep Friends who came back recently said said they were implementing them. I think it was a, it took a long time for them to implement them. Yeah. Initially, I, I did hear a report on the radio that the farmers were very spooked and the abattoirs were were getting a glut of of farmers selling selling off their beef in fear of um, thinking that it was not enough was being done by Australian biosecurity and mm. that um, mm. yeah, they, they just thought they had to get out of the industry um, or at least sell their sell their their, their, their product before uh, before they're not allowed to sell it because obviously this disease is is very very hard to contain and very easily spread it's excreted on breath saliva mucus milk and feces uh, the virus can be excreted by animals for up to four days before clinical signs appear and animals can become infected through inhalation ingestion or and direct contact the disease spreads between farms most commonly through the movement of infected animals. 
It can also be moved around, you know, as I mentioned, through milk and feces and, and also through the actual for meat products themselves. Mm. So it's it's a real issue. It is something that we, we need to take very seriously. And I think if, if there are farmers concerned, well, they need to educate themselves. And there's a lot of information available to them. You can go to agriculture.gov.au. That's got a lot of information about uh, how this disease is transmitted, what signs to look for, where the disease is found. And, you know, details on Australia's vulnerability. But it is a concern. It would be a, a huge blow to be, you know, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. I mean, there's the live cattle uh, export business. There's also the, the uh, obviously selling meat products all around the world. Uh, and and not you know not to mention the domestic market, so and local would, prices, yeah. yeah, and local prices as well. So uh, it's it's a good time to be in farming, but not a good time if there's foot and mouth disease around. So mm. something to be pretty aware of. There are a million doses of uh, a special uh, drug have been uh, sent to barley to inoculate animals there. So Australia's providing that. Well, they're, they're at least providing experts to help local people uh, inoculate their animals and make sure it happens because there's that much concern about it because of that huge tourist trade is that like a vaccine for the animals in Indonesia? i think so yes i think it is it's a vaccine yeah it's an inoculation so it protects them from from the disease there's different ways that it could be introduced through uncooked meat or live animals semen uncooked meat unprocessed dairy products from countries that have been affected with foot and mouth disease, if there's any contaminated illegally imported animal products um, or through objects like footwear uh, contaminated with the virus that came in contact with susceptible animals. So it's, it's, um, it's a, and it's all around right the world. It's, it's, uh, it's in Africa, it's in South America, it's in parts of Asia, it's in the Middle East. It's a very serious issue and um, it's something that, uh, you know, I think uh, local authorities in Australia are really desperate to contain. It's another one like varroa mite, another another uh, disease from overseas that uh, that could make its way in, and if it does, could have devastating effects. And and just while we're on this, with Simon Mulvaney, who's in the studio with me, about the possible end of the pandemic, and uh, I think uh, President Biden in the U.S. was was criticised recently because he he said, oh, you know, he, he sort of declared that the pandemic was over. There were people up there saying, well, actually, isn't it a bit early to be saying that because the pandemic isn't over uh, there's still quite a few people dying from it well in fact thousands of people every day dying from from covid but what uh, president biden was was referring to was that it seems to be leaving people's minds it's not front and center of people's behavior as it was and uh, you just have to look at the crowd at the MCG for that. You know, it was one of the biggest crowds they've had there for a grand final because the grand final hadn't been held. This is Australian rules football, the, the grand final once a year, the end of the, the footy season. And it was held at the MCG for the first time in three years. So the last mm. two years because of the pandemic, it's been held up elsewhere. And a uh, huge crowd, over 100,000 people there and no one had masks on. Yeah, so it's. So I think people are people are kind of losing losing interest, losing. Um, and part of that is pandemic fatigue in a way, isn't it? Like people have just had well, enough. It, it is promising, at the, you know, that we haven't heard mass reports of people getting sick after that event too. Yeah. So maybe they were a bit overcautious the last couple of years, um, but. Yeah, I know. Well, look, I mean, there's people in, in, in Greater Melbourne in particular where we are. The Morton Peninsula is included controversially in Greater Melbourne. Mm-hmm. We all know only too well what those uh, those really bad years of, of lockdowns were, the, the longest period of, of cumulative lockdown of any city in, a, in the world. Mm. 
devastating for small business, devastating for kids' educations, devastating for people's morale and, and mental health. When you kind of see, you know, like earlier this year in January when Omicron, that big surge in Omicron, it was, it was tens of thousands of cases a day in Victoria and, and you know, like 50,000 for the country or even more mm-hmm. for Australia-wide. And those are just the ones that were being reported. There were probably plenty that weren't being reported at that stage. Uh, we didn't have lockdowns then and it's the same virus. But I guess, you know, one argument authorities would use is, well, we, we weren't as, as widely vaccinated, but we were pretty well vaccinated vaccinated i think when omicron came around um yeah and and how much that uh, the vaccine actually worked for omicron that yeah. was something well else that's that well was... that was a, a variant that was believed to uh to escape the protections uh, afforded by vaccines but anyway it'll be interesting to see what happens in the uh, the state election coming up uh pretty soon actually i think in november the uh, victorian electorate gets to vote on whether they want to you know have another term of uh, the dan andrews labor government in this state another four years of dan very very interesting to see how that goes particularly in light of how he handled the pandemic some people mm. say that it was good others say it was overkill and and cost a lot of money and a lot of livelihoods and uh, education morale mental health those sort of things so uh, you know divided opinion on that one and also the controversy over what exactly did happen to him when he disappeared from office for about four months you know was, was it the slip down the stairs was it a fight was it you know who know what who knows what actually really happened there but pretty unusual not to actually lay eyes on the premier for four months at all uh, after that incident, given the uh, the injuries were um, supposedly his back and and who's his competition too? That's the other thing that yep. Who's the competition? Another question that people will be asking themselves. That's not till November. We'll probably have a bit of a talk about that closer to the time. I think on average, pandemics last about four years if you look back over history. And so we're three years into this one. So hopefully, given that we've got the benefit of medical science, uh, which previous pandemics did not have in the way that we've had, and particularly in Australia, I mean, it was a we were fortunate in Australia that we were given, there was a lot of support, government support handed out, uh, both on a state and federal level, uh, you know, JobKeeper, those sort of, those sort of programs that people had uh, for support. And it needs to be remembered that in most of the world, in lots and lots of other countries where they had lockdowns, there was just nothing provided by the government. So mm-hmm. at least in, in Australia, we were pretty lucky to, uh, to live in a place where there was some support and, and it was made possible for you to not have to work and therefore make the disease even more widely spread than, than it was doing on its own. But anyway, interesting to see whether that, that uh, claim by President Biden that the pandemic is over whether that really rings true. There's still a reasonably high death toll being reported all around the world. WHO did say recently, I think, that the the death toll on a daily basis was you know one of the lowest that they'd seen for a while. So it seems to be trending down, which is a very good sign, and that we're kind of at the tail end of the pandemic anyway, whatever that means. But I don't know. I think that we've been showing that complacency can be a risky risky proposition with this pandemic over the last couple of years. You know, everyone thought the end of... 2021 so about a year ago we're thinking we're out of the woods we're out of lockdown we're, we're vaccinated and then along came uh, omicron and, uh, and changed things uh, you know continued the travel restrictions and border closures and stuff that had applied for many countries around the world i know and i think we can all agree that the vaccine didn't do what prom- promised and it was a bit leaky mm. and well the virus some, mutated you know and wasn't some a, people wasn't a perfect are up fifth and yeah. sixth and people are having it multiple times. People, there's there's long COVID, which is a concern. 
anyway, I don't even want to talk about COVID anymore. No, <laughs> I, I no, think everyone's no, had no, everyone had everyone's had enough yeah, of it. It was great to see. But you know, unfortunately, diseases. People. You know, these sort of things, like you know, we were saying off air that foot and mouth disease uh, in cattle and and uh, hoofed animals hooved animals, whatever the word is, it's a virus and it's very easily spread and it, it's a nasty virus, pretty damaging to animals that get it. Not always fatal, but but very debilitating and very easily spread. You know, that's kind of an animal version of coronavirus. You know, things like polio have, have re-emerged, you know, that when, they, when that was believed to be eradicated through big vaccination campaigns and stuff going back, you know, 30, 40 odd years mm-hmm. in the past. Well, there's signs of that coming back. And again, it's, it's drug resistant or vaccine resistant tra- strains that are emerging. And even things like monkeypox. I mean, that's another that's another disease that's switched from animals through to humans, like like uh, COVID is believed to have done. Mm. And uh, and that's that's been around. That's done the rounds of the world. I mean, obviously, certain segments of the population are more more exposed to that, more vulnerable to that. That's a nasty disease as well. That seems to be apparently plateauing in Australia. It's not the numbers aren't increasing as as uh, worryingly as they as they were doing. Yes, yeah, they, they, it was very confined. Um. So we live in an age when, because of human movement and uh, and possibly the waning benefits of some of the protections that we've developed, disease is is still a thing that we need to be mindful of. And unfortunately, um, you know, no matter how good the technology is, it seems that these diseases have have often have ways of mutating and getting around the the protections that we've developed. Piers Cunningham and Simon Mulvaney with you on Beyond Infinity. Infinity.